great God we serve. What a great God we serve. Amen. Well, I want to take you tonight to the book of Exodus, and uh, we'll go to the 25th chapter of Exodus. I'm going to, we'll read together, and then I'll provide a little bit of a context maybe, and uh, we'll just see where the Lord takes us tonight. Amen. Amen. Isn't it good to just be able to come into the house of the Lord so easily come into his presence. I don't ever want to take that for granted to just be able to come in and enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise and just feel his presence so near. What a great privilege and it's a great privilege to be able to worship together. I think probably after the last 18 or 20 months or whatever it's been now, I hope we never take for granted again the opportunity to worship together. How good and pleasant. Amen. Amen. Let's start with verse 31. Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft, his branches, his bowls, his knops, his flowers shall be of the same. Six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick out of the one side. Three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch. And three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same, shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof and they shall light the lamps thereof that they may give light over against it. The tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of Pure gold, of a talent of pure gold, shall he make it with all these vessels. And look that thou make them after the pattern which was showed thee in the mount. Details, details, details. But the pattern that was shown in the mount. Tonight, before we go to the word of the Lord, I'd like for us to pray together. We're, of course, continuing in our series of praying through the tabernacle and We'll give a little context here, but I want us to go to prayer together. Invite the Lord's Spirit to touch us in our hearts. His Word already has authority. It's already anointed. But our hearts need to be touched by the Spirit of the Lord in order to receive His Word. Amen? So let's invite Him to do that right now. Lord, we're grateful. We're so thankful, Lord, for all that you've done in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. And we're inviting you, Lord. Let your spirit bring its illumination into our lives. And let us see clearly, Lord, what you would have for us out of your word tonight. Lord, with the psalmist, our prayer is, show me wondrous things out of thy law. We ask, Lord, that you would work in each of our hearts tonight. Bury your word down deep in us, O Lord, that we might forever be a testimony of your greatness and your great power. And we ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, 
It's a dangerous thing when you give somebody a microphone, right? And pastor's not here, although I guess this will be archived. But some of you may know my Uncle James that sits over here on Sunday mornings. They've recently, within the last several months, they've been attending here. And so just a little carnal note, he has a birthday coming up on Saturday, and he's going to be 90 years old. And so I know he loves this kind of attention so much that I thought I would just call him out tonight. He's probably sitting at home watching this, and I'm probably shortening my days the longer I talk about it. And you see him on Sunday, you can tell him how you cannot believe he's 90 years old. We were joking around a little bit, telling him it's just a few more days. Just take it easy. Don't do anything crazy. You're almost a 90. Don't risk it. Don't. So, Uncle, don't take any of leave and just leave the rest of those doors to paint till next week. They'll be fine. They'll, they'll do just fine. Now, I do want to wish him happy birthday. And, uh, of course, we've been walking through the tabernacle. And we're talking about praying through the tabernacle. And we've mentioned how that having, well, first of all, the tabernacle is an earthly representation of something that actually does exist in the heavens. And it lays out the pattern of access to God. And we've talked a lot about how that tabernacle exists in the heavens, and I'm not sure exactly what it all looks like in the heavens, but we have it according to the scripture that there is, it is made after the pattern of something that exists in that spiritual realm. And of course, Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of all of these aspects of the tabernacle, and he has made for us a way into the presence of God. So the tabernacle was a physical, it was an object lesson, it was an analogy for the time, as the writer of the book of Hebrews says, for the time then present, it was a teacher to show them how to get into the presence of God. When Jesus came, he fulfilled every one of those aspects and he has made for us a new and living way. Now, the irony of that phrase, new and living way, the old way was a way of death. It was sacrifice, it was blood, it was all of that. But the writer of Hebrews says Christ came and provided for us a new and living way. Now the beauty of all of this is that not only does this apply to our salvation as a whole, and it's fitting that we would sing victory in Jesus before we talk about the tabernacle because that is that trip to Calvary is where he really secured complete and total victory. And so not only, though, did he do that in a global sense in our lives and save us from sin, but he has also prepared for us a way that we can fellowship and we receive the Spirit And the Spirit has a daily impact in our lives such that we don't have to wait for the first resurrection to have complete victory, but we can actually live victorious lives now with the earnest of our inheritance in the power of the Holy Ghost. And when we begin to see how all of these pieces fit together, it just makes sense that whenever we would go to prayer, we're entering into the presence of the Lord, that old tabernacle has some object lessons for us to show us how to get into the presence of the Lord. And so that's what we've been working through for several weeks. And uh, Brother Andrew, if you can show that flyover, maybe now would be a good time. Just a little bit of a reminder, a context. 
This is what that tabernacle looked like in the, in the wilderness, in the desert. Um, it was not necessarily a thing of beauty from the outside, but inside there were great beauties to behold. There was that entrance gate into the outer court, and there's two primary pieces of furniture in the outer court, the altar of sacrifice or the brazen altar, and that was the place where the sacrifices were offered. And then there is the brazen laver where there was washing and cleansing, and that prepared the priest to enter into the outer sanctuary or the holy place, which Pastor talked about last week, We'll talk a little bit to give just a little context here. Um, Covered with these various layers of skins and uh, protection from the elements of the outside world. And then going through those five pillars into this holy place, there are three pieces of furniture. The golden candlestick, which we read about tonight. And uh, the table of showbread, which Pastor talked about last Wednesday night. And then the altar of incense, which we will endeavor to cover as well tonight. And those led the way, prepared the way through the inner veil into the most holy place or the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And of course, inside the Ark were the artifacts of God's provision and protection. And over that outer, um, over those, those artifacts were the cherubim, the two angels between which the presence of the Lord dwelled. And so we've been working our way piece by piece through this Old Testament tabernacle. Now, the beauty of all of this is that when the Lord was telling Moses this, uh, Pastor Mangan kind of brought this point out that when the Lord was telling Moses this, he started with the furniture and he built the house around the furniture. And most of us, if we're looking for a house or we're building a house, you build the house and then you go figure out if you've got any money left, how you're going to decorate it and what kind of furniture you're going to put in there and, you know, maybe folding chairs and folding tables for a while, but you'll get there eventually, right? But the Lord started off with the furniture and built the house around it. That tells us something about the importance of these pieces. Now, as we have made our way through all of this, We came into that first door, into the outer court. We entered into his courts with praise, into his gates with thanksgiving. And that's the way we should always enter into prayer or really um, church service. Really, it's probably a good habit anywhere is to remember that the Lord is ultimately in control and he's worthy of thanksgiving and praise. And we don't have to be downcast about wherever we're going, but especially When we go to prayer or when we come to the house of the Lord, it should be with thanksgiving and with praise. But that first piece of furniture, that sacrifice, that sacrificial altar where uh, the sacrificial animal was put up there and was killed and uh, its blood was caught, that speaks to us of our repentance and the need for us. If we're going to approach God, we have to crucify ourselves, crucify our flesh. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross. Now, I'm no marketer. I don't work on Madison Avenue, but something tells me that probably flies in the face of conventional wisdom. If you're trying to gather a crowd to tell people you need to, you need to pick up your cross, you need to be ready to be crucified, you need, that is not really how you gain a following, but that's what the Lord did. Because it's important for us, if we're going to approach the presence of the Lord, we have to 
crucify things that are not like him. And when we approach the Lord in prayer, it's good for us to have a time of allowing the Lord to point out to us areas of life and say, Lord, I'm willing. I want to be cleaned. I want to be crucified. I've got to get up on that altar willingly, and I have to allow this old man to be crucified and to be killed so that I can be what you would have me to be. And once you have done that, and and incidentally, you know, um, you can... You can spend as much time as you want praying through this tabernacle. I think if um, you're trying to carry a one-hour or two-hour or three-hour prayer shift and a 24-hour prayer chain, you just take as long as you need at every station. And you may not have the flexibility to do that every day. So you can, if you repented really good yesterday, you know, maybe you can uh, make it through these a little bit faster the next day. But don't get in a hurry of just trying a habit of trying to rush through things. We need to allow the Lord to speak to us fresh as we work our way through these things. And it becomes a spiritual discipline. Because what we crucified today, if it stays dead tomorrow, it may allow us to see other things that need to be crucified that we didn't really know about yet because we were too preoccupied with the big giant we had to slay yesterday. If we do this regularly, we do this consistently, I believe the Lord will purify us and he will give us the fulfillment, give us the strength to live for him according to his will. Amen? Sister Kilgore used to say, she said, I just love to pray in the morning and I just love to repent and just get it all out there because she said, then I figure... If Jesus comes any time during the day, I only have a little bit to be accountable for. Just whatever's happened since I got finished praying, that's all I have to worry about. So we come in and we climb on that altar. And when we have crucified the flesh, there is a point then we need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. We have to get all of that residue off of us. And that's the purpose of that labor that wash us and cleanse us. And we talked about how you use the word of God. Allow the word of the Lord to cleanse you. What did Paul write to the church at Ephesus? He said that Jesus Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. There is a sanctifying effect to the word of God. When you find yourself in the word, it will cleanse you. It will cleanse your attitudes. It will cleanse your heart. If you really take it in. The writer of the book of Hebrews said that the gospel was not of any effect. He said the gospel was preached unto us as unto them. But unto them it was of no effect because it was not mixed with faith. This is not an academic pursuit. It's not about knowing necessarily every technical detail. It's not about pursuing the academic aspects of it. But when we go to the word of the Lord, there needs to be an element of faith that rises up in us so that the word is mixed with faith and it has that cleansing and that purifying effect on our lives. And we quote it all the time, but it's really profound. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What David was saying is, if I treasure your word, I've treasured your word in my heart. It's not just that I memorize it or I buried it. It's not that kind of hid. But I've treasured it. I've valued it in my heart. And it had the impact of keeping me 
from sinning that I might not sin against you. So there is a cleansing, a purifying, a sanctifying effect of the word of God. And everything that happens in that outer court is preparation for what needs to happen inside the holy place. Everything that happens outside, there is, you'll, you see on the screen, there is no covering. It's all natural light. This is what happens. This is dealing with the natural man. But when we have crucified ourselves, and when we have cleansed ourselves, now we have prepared ourselves to walk into and to enter into the grace of God and into the presence of God. As Pastor preached last Wednesday night, going through that curtain with those five pillars takes us from the natural outside into the supernatural inside. Now the beauty of all of this is that with each piece of furniture and each aspect, there are pictures of Jesus Christ and his work everywhere. His fingerprints are all over this, which is not surprising since we know that Jesus is the manifestation of the one true living God. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And that one God was manifest, revealed to us his fullness in the man Christ Jesus. And so we see Jesus everywhere in this tabernacle. And Pastor talked about the protection that comes when we enter into that holy place. We're protected from those outside elements, things that might otherwise affect us or impact us, weather, you know, whatever circumstances. We go into that holy place, there is a protection there. Those coverings protect us in the presence of the Lord. And we, he talked about going through those five pillars. And one analogy that has been used is Isaiah 9-6. Those five pillars representing five different aspects of the name of the Lord. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Each one of those aspects really is an expression of the grace of God. He is so wonderful. He's astonishing. He's amazing. Now, there's an overused word in our culture today, amazing. Everything's amazing. Everything from your morning coffee at Starbucks to the uh, cinnamon roll you picked up somewhere to whatever, the sunset, everything is amazing. But when we start talking about the Lord, he really is astonish, astonishing. He really is awesome. That is, he's one who generates in us a sense of awe when we look at him. And uh, counselor, he's the one with all the wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom as I enter into your presence. Give me wisdom in my life. Help me to know decisions to make on the job, with my family. Whatever aspect of our life we're talking about, he is able. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that he's always, Jesus is always the smartest guy in the room. We go different places looking for answers. He's the one that made all of this. And he has the answers if we're sensitive enough to hear his voice. We talked about the mighty God, the everlasting Father. If we, if uh, families, and we live in a culture that so much of, so much is splintered and broken apart, but he is our everlasting father. Always one that we can go to for supply. Always one that we can rely on. Always one we can count on. 
and the Prince of Peace in a world that knows no peace, we serve the Prince of Peace. What a, what a tremendous opportunity, blessing, to be able to step out of that outer court, out of all of the dysfunction and disruption of the, this outside world, and be able to go into the presence of the Lord and find a source of peace. Not, not just the absence of conflict, but a real comfort, and knowledge and knowing that God is in control and he's working everything out for our good. Now, inside that holy place, there are two pieces of furniture that kind of work together. And they are on opposite sides. On the one side is the table of showbread. On the other side is the golden candlestick, which we were reading about tonight. Pastor last week talked about the showbread. And it really speaks to... Keeping in mind, we're entering into his presence. We've gone from that outer court into a supernatural world. And there, that showbread is a symbol of sustenance, of satisfaction, of fulfillment, of nourishment. It is what we need to stay alive. And again, because... It's hard to separate Jesus and his word. We see aspects of the word of God here, not just Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said he was the manna that was come down from heaven. Just like in the Old Testament, the Jewish fathers were fed with manna from heaven. Jesus said, I am that bread that has come down from heaven. And they weren't ready to accept it, but that's what he said. I am that source. If you, if you want nourishment, if you want strength, if you want fulfillment, you want satisfaction, I am the bread of life. And in fact, he said at one point in the book of John, if you are not prepared to eat me, to consume me, then you should just go away. And many of them did because they couldn't understand. That's a pretty hard saying. But then the word was made flesh and manifest or dwelt among us. Jesus um, is the manifestation of the word of God that bread also speaks to us of his word. It's different than when we're at the laver and it's cleansing us and it's washing us externally. But now we've moved inside the presence of God. We've moved inside that holy place. And now all of a sudden, it's not just taking care of the outer man, but he's feeding us and he's strengthening us and his word is feeding us. So when you get to this point, it's perfectly appropriate to find psalms and just start praying them and let them be your prayer. And that flows, that word flows through you. It will feed your spirit and it will go to heaven and be your prayer. And there is a, a circulation kind of that occurs in the word of the Lord. But that brings us, the counterpart to the table of showbread is this golden candlestick. Again, remembering we've stepped from outside in the natural light Inside, where there's skins and there is there are gold columns that are all around this, that form this tabernacle, this inner tabernacle. And there's so much heavy covering over the top, there is no natural light in there. So it would be black. It would be pitch black. How would you ever see? It's the golden candlestick that gives light. And this is part of the supernatural aspect of it. The instruction was that they were to build this candlestick and then they were to fill it with oil. 
And it was to be lit off of the fire on the altar of sacrifice. Now what you'll notice as we work our way through these various pieces of furniture, everything starts at the altar of sacrifice. That's the source. The fire that was on that altar was originally kindled by the spirit power of God himself. And they took that fire and they used that to light the candles inside the holy place. They filled it with oil and they lit those candles and that provided the light inside the tabernacle. Now, again, my first thought is, well, there's the word of God again. That word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But when you look at this more carefully, it's not just, it's not just that it is a light, but notice the source of the light. The source of the light is coming from the oil. And this is the important aspect that you've got to have the candlestick in order to be able to see the table of showbread. You have to have the light that comes from the burning oil to be able to see how to partake at the table of showbread. It's that light that is illuminating everything and allowing everything to be seen clearly. And that's why I say these two pieces of furniture work together. We must have the activity of the Holy Ghost in our lives. There has to be that oil that is active in our lives. That really is going to make the difference. Now, how many of you remember, maybe before you received the Holy Ghost, you had started trying to read the scripture a little bit, and it seemed unattainable. It seemed confusing. And things didn't make sense. And maybe you were even familiar with much of the Bible, but there were parts of it that were difficult for you. But do you remember, after you received the Spirit, some of those same passages you went back to and they came alive. Because there was a light in your spirit. There was the Holy Spirit that was illuminating the Word of God. This is what James talked about, about how that they were to lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And what did he say? Receive with meekness the engrafted word. And like the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 4 two, allow that word to be mixed with faith. And there is an illumination that comes with the spirit working together with the word of God in our lives. We must allow the spirit of God to work in our lives. When we get to this point in our prayer, It's almost like it makes sense to do them both at the same time. Lord, light the candle of your spirit in my heart. Search me, O God. Show me what's wrong. Show me if there's anything that's not like you. And allow your word to have its work in my life. And illuminate and and put the anointing of the Holy Ghost on my life. So that whenever I turn around here in a few minutes and I walk outside this tabernacle and outside technically or in our analogy here, outside the presence of the Lord, there should still be a glow of the spirit that is on our lives that is recognizable by people. Every once in a while, it doesn't happen too often, I'm ashamed to say, but every once in a while, somebody will just come up and say, are you apostolic? Man, that is like the world's biggest compliment. Absolutely I am. How, 
thank the Lord that there was enough of the Spirit of the Lord, a residue on me that somebody recognized there's something different. We need to, when we get to this point in our prayer, we have to realize the Spirit of God is the is this key aspect. It's not about academic pursuit, but Lord, somehow the power of your Spirit, you've got to give me the overcoming power that I can be a light in the darkness. Jesus said he was the light that shined in darkness, and the darkness couldn't overcome it. The darkness inside that tabernacle was no match for the golden candlestick. And you'll remember also the candlestick in the book of Revelation. Jesus was the one walking among the candlestick represented the churches in those letters to those churches in the early chapters of the Revelation. And Jesus was walking around in there. He was the one walking among the churches. And we are a light in this world. As a congregation we are, and individually we are. Because we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Amen? And it's important that we allow the Lord to become that consuming fire in our lives that as a result of the power of the Holy Ghost that lives in us, that there is a light that's given off to the rest of the world. So it's not just for our own illumination, but it should be a guide to others. We should be, in some ways, we should be a magnet for troubled people. It's a tough thing. But it's really a good thing if people that have problems say, I know who I need to talk to. Not because I have the answers, but because the Holy Ghost that is in me can help them and can point them to the answers for themselves. Amen? So we become a witness if we get to this point where we are asking and inviting the presence of the Lord to be active in us. You know, I, I know this is elementary, and I know you're all past this point, but we we can't lose sight of the fact that receiving the Holy Ghost was not a one-time event. It's not like we got stamped, and our ticket is validated, and we're good to go, and we just go sit and wait for the Lord to come back. You know, it's like you get your bus ticket, and it's validated, and everything's good to go, and you just got to wait for the bus to show up. That's not the way the Holy Ghost is supposed to work. We receive the Spirit... And it's supposed to, first of all, have an impact in our lives and allow us to overcome things that we could not previously overcome. It is power. It is strength within us. Ezekiel talked about how the Lord would take that stony heart out of our flesh and he would give us a heart of flesh. And I think that is a just a direct picture of us receiving the Spirit of God. That our old heart is taken out of the way and God gives us the power of the Holy Ghost to allow us to overcome. So just like when we're reading the scripture, we got fresh illumination when we received the Spirit. There also should have been some things that we tried desperately to overcome before we received the Spirit. We could not. But once we received the Spirit, we had victory after victory after victory because the Lord was with us and we were taking those things down. Amen? So the... That Holy Ghost brings us victory every day, but then it also has an action and an effect on those that we come in contact with. We are a light in a dark world. So those two work together. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 30, and I want to, in our remaining time tonight, I want us to talk about this altar of incense. 
Exodus chapter 30. And I'll just pick a few verses. We'll start with, with verse 1. Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of shittim wood thou shalt make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, a cubit the breadth. Four squares shall it be. Two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be the same. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, the sides thereof round about, the horns thereof. Thou shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. Let's go down to verse 6. Thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark, the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn their own sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Let's skip down to verse 34. The Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacta and anica and galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each, shall there be a like weight, one part of each. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy, and thou shalt beat some of it very small and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. And as the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. So this is the last piece of furniture before entering into the Holy of Holies. It is a smaller version of that altar of sacrifice, but it's only smaller in its... um, Perimeter, it stands tall. It stands as tall as the cherubim that sit over the Ark of the Covenant. And there is a fire in this altar. And on that fire there is incense that is offered and it makes a sweet smell that goes up. And this is of course symbolic of our worship and our prayer unto the Lord. So everything that has happened to this point, in the outer court, we were prepared to do service. We come into the holy place and we partake of the the light, helps us to partake of the bread, and we are sustained and we are nourished and we are fed and we are strengthened by that bread. And our way and our path is illuminated and it points us to this piece of furniture which effectively is guarding the door to the Holy of Holies. Everything that happened outside was preparatory for me, but inside there is the work of the priest to go on behalf of others. And this piece of furniture is actually the culmination of our work for others. This is the point at which we begin to intercede on behalf of others. We are offering prayer. Think about the work of the priest He would come in and he would offer this and he was offering it on behalf of the people. The purpose of the priest in the Old Testament, he was the go-between between God and the people. Not all of the people could come in 
and do this, but he was designated to come on their behalf. Now, the beauty is that now we have not a high priest like theirs. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. And our high priest, his work is so perfect and so complete that we become a chosen generation. We become a royal priesthood. Now we have the privilege to enter into the presence of the Lord, but there is a responsibility that comes with our entrance into his presence. And that responsibility is worship and intercession. Let's take these in two pieces. We talk a lot about praise and worship. I have some thoughts on the difference. Praise. You know, you don't have to have a relationship with someone to praise them. You can recognize that somebody is a great athlete or a good leader, a great businessman. Um, You can recognize all kinds of good traits about people, and you can praise them without ever knowing them or them knowing your name or anything about you. But worship, worship is more than just heartfelt praise. Worship speaks of relationship. Worship speaks of closeness. It speaks of intimacy. And it does involve our heart. But it's more than just an emotional thing. It's more than just inspiration. There is, I would say, worship is another form of the word love. Real love. Not like I love pizza, but like agape love. Like... Love, the thing about agape love, it always acts in the best interest of the object of affection. Now, there are other kinds of love that say, I love you because what you can do for me. You're pretty and hanging out with you makes me look good. And it it strokes my ego. Or you're smart or you're funny and I just like being with you. But agape love is a giving love that says... Even though it hurts and even though it's hard and I don't want to, I'm going to do what's best for you because I care about your best interest. That kind of love is actually the foundation of worship. And that is that relationship is where worship really comes from. And that's why the Lord told the woman at the well, they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. It's those... It's the candlestick and the showbread again. The spirit part, the clarity, the illumination, but also the truth. And if you have, if you have truth but no illumination, you can become dry and dead. The spirit giveth life, but the letter kills. If you just have the word, if you just have truth by itself, you can't survive. But if you just have spirit by itself, you have passion, you have spirit that's leading you, but you don't have any grounding, you can be off in all sorts of error without ever knowing it. The two have to be married together. And when we, and if you look in scripture, the first occurrence of the word worship in most translations, certainly in King James, but in most translations, the first occurrence of the word worship, anybody want to take a guess? Abraham. Abraham at Moriah. He told the servant, Remember the Lord had said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him on, a, on, as, on an altar of sacrifice. And so Abraham took a journey without telling 
Isaac's mom because that was a smart thing to do. <laughs> Don't let mom know what's going on. He goes three days journey into the wilderness. And there's a point at which nobody can go any further except Abraham and Isaac. So he turns to the servants and he says, the lad and I, Isaac and I, we're going to go to that mountain and we're going to worship. What is the essence of worship? Your first thought may be the essence of worship is sacrifice. Worship always or often will involve sacrifice. But even more fundamental, worship involves obedience. So sacrifice for sacrifice's sake is not necessarily worship. Self-injury, just because it hurts, doesn't mean it's worship. Where worship comes in is when we are obedient to the Lord. And there are times when the Lord will tell us to do something and it will hurt. And it will involve sacrifice. But when we are obedient, that is the essence of worship. And so when we come to this altar of incense, this is where worship gets involved. And see, everything else has kind of cleaned us all out. And we've finally gotten to the point where we stand right at the precipice of the Holy of Holies. And we have been purified by the presence of God and by our time on the altar and the laver and we've been sustained by his showbread, and we've been illuminated by the candlestick, and we stand there ready servants. And we actually have something that we can offer to God. The incense goes up. This altar is different. The altar outside was for destruction. But this altar is an altar of worship where this is not... I've already hopefully crucified everything that's not like you. I've taken care of all of that stuff. But God, what I have left, this is for you. I offer this. I offer my heart. I offer what's left of my life. Whatever you give me, I offer it to you. This is why Paul would say in Galatians, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. When I was crucified on that altar out front... There was a new life that came in. And when I entered into his presence, it's the life of Christ that is in me. And when I come to this altar of incense, I have something to offer. It's not of me. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, Paul said, dwells no good thing. But he has given us his spirit. And he's given us the ability to have that relationship and that connection and we can offer it on this altar and it goes up to him as a sweet-smelling savor into the presence of the Lord. What a privilege to be able to worship, to have somewhat to offer in the presence of the Lord. It's not mine. You gave it to me, Lord, but I want to offer it to you. I, I recognize that what you've given me is miraculous and that it's not something I could conjure on my own. And, and since I know that you have the supply and there's more where this came from, I, I give it back to you. I want to give it to you. And as we stand there worshiping, this is also our opportunity to intercede, which is exactly what Jesus did for us. He went on our behalf into the Holy of Holies. He made a new and living way. So when we stand at this altar of incense and we offer our best to the Lord, we also begin to pray and ask, we intercede on behalf of our family, 
Lord, help us. Protect us. Make a way into the presence of the Lord. Help my family, help my wife, help my children to know what it is to come into your presence and to serve you. And we pray, we intercede on behalf of our church, on behalf of our city, on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our world, because we recognize as we enter into the presence of the Lord, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It would be God's desire for everyone to be able to come. So as we worship, we begin to offer those prayers of intercession on behalf of those that are around us. We Don't forget, we are a royal priesthood. And even though the way has been made clear, and it's a new and living way, and that men can choose to come, they, don't, they often don't. And our role is we stand as an intermediary interceding on their behalf, praying at the altar of incense. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of our service to the Lord in his presence. And... You know, when we came through those five pillars, there were some petitions that we made. But when we get to this altar of incense, the stage has really been set. And we have been prepared to be able to make petitions on our own behalf and on behalf of those that we love and those that we are in contact with. This is where the Lord will meet with us. Now, when we go past this, we go into the glory. We'll leave that for Brother Landon, next week to take us into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God and the glory of God. But the very fact that we stand here just outside that curtain at this altar of incense offering prayer and offering worship into the, to the Lord and into his presence, it tells you of the importance of this particular place. Everything, it's stepwise. From the time you come in the gate, everything is preparing you for the next step, and the next step, and the next step. So we're, we're right there. We're right on the edge of what the Lord would do in us and in our prayer. Now, of course, when we work our way through this, we're not trying to talk about some rote kind of thing. But that is to say that some memorized set of prayers that becomes dry But actually, each one of these stations or each one of these pieces of furniture, if you're in the word, there is a freshness that can come to you even in repentance and even in washing and being fed by the word and seeing new light. All of these things will bring life to your prayer life. And uh, as we wrap things up tonight, I wanted to go to Hebrews chapter 9 because this kind of summarizes the whole tabernacle, puts it all kind of in perspective in a real summary. We've spent a lot of time working our way through these various pieces. But now I want you to hear what the writer of Hebrews says, and I want you to get the big picture of what was accomplished at Calvary using the tabernacle as a type, and then we can extend this into our own lives. So... Hebrews 9, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle made. He's not, he skips the outer court. He goes straight to the holy place. There was a tabernacle made, the first 
wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. I wish he had. Now then, when these things were thus ordained, when the Lord set all of this in order, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Remember when we were reading in Exodus 30, and it was talking about the uh, when Aaron would come in and he would dress the lamps in the morning, he was to put incense on the altar. And when he would come in and dress the lamps in the evening, he was to put incense on the altar. This was a regular thing to be done. And the writer of Hebrews said that when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, the day of atonement, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. But it was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So all of these pieces of furniture and all the ordinances of the priests and all of these things, they happened over and over and over again because there was never a way in which that priest could be made right. The work needed to be continually done. Notice that in our discussion of the furniture in the tabernacle, there is not one single chair because the priest could never sit down because the work was never finished. He had to come over and over and over again. Verse 11, but Christ, <laughs> but Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once. Not over and over. Not with blood on behalf of the people. But he entered in with his own blood once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more? How much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What he did was eternal in nature. One time, accomplished in time at Calvary with an impact for all eternity. What a great God we serve. And as we come into his presence... We are privileged to be able to enter into his presence because of the new and the living way that he made. Why don't we stand together tonight? I want you to be encouraged that in your prayer, there is a way 
into the presence of God. And that every need that we have in our lives, in our relationships, in every circumstance in our lives, there is provision for those things in the presence of God. And in the word of God, he has provided for us a way into his presence. We don't have to offer goats and calves and bulls. We don't have to bring those sacrifices to the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise. (laughs) Amen. The fruit of our lips we offer to him. And in the opening part of Hebrews, in the Old Testament, there was no chair in the tabernacle. But if you read the opening verses of Hebrews, he says that Jesus, when he had done, he had completed this work, he sat down the right hand of the majesty on high because there was no more work to be done. It was finished and complete at Calvary. And now the way into his presence is made manifest. It is revealed to us. We know what it is. We know we have that veil has been torn open and the spirit, the presence, the glory of God is exposed to us. What an awesome privilege we have to serve him in this day and to know him in the power of his resurrection. Amen. Why don't we offer thanks tonight? Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're so thankful, Lord, for the way that you have made for us, that you have paved before us, that you have made these things available to us. What an awesome privilege. There there are no words, Lord, that we could express our gratitude to be able to know you in the power of your resurrection. Even in the fellowship of your suffering, Lord, there is still yet a hope that goes beyond this life because of the eternal impact that you made at Calvary. We're so grateful, Lord. What an awesome privilege to be able to enter into your presence every day, not to have to wait for the resurrection to have victory, but to know victory in our lives now, to be able to overcome evil by the power of the Holy Ghost, to be able to find healing and restoration and Everything that we need, we find it in the presence of the Lord. Oh, what an awesome thing, God, to be able to know you. We Thank you, Lord. We ask you to go with us. Allow these words to burrow down deep into our spirits. And never let us lose sight, Lord, of the great privilege that we have. And to be willing always to give an answer of everyone that would ask of the hope that lies within. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Don't forget our services this weekend. We're looking forward to a great weekend together. Trust that you will go in the spirit of the Lord, and the Lord will bring us all back together. Amen. Lord bless you.